This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where, if you walk into any of their stores, you will see a very ample supply of hanging baskets outside. Mm-hmm. Because starting Friday, uh, they have two for one hanging baskets. So that is a really good deal. And, you know, Zupan's stocks the most beautiful floral arrangements and flowers that you can find anywhere they're all really uh just gorgeous and uh you'd want to have them hanging in your home two for one this weekend it's my favorite time of the year chris i've said that before when zupans does this great hanging basket sale i i will be the first in line um because you can't go wrong there you also can't go wrong with some great uh specials through june 6th it is uh the you know the start of barbecue outdoor season so why not uh, roast yourself up a tri-tip roast or a steak from double r ranch uh, that's on sale right now you're saving four dollars a pound uh, maybe salmon is your thing columbia river king salmon fillets are seven dollars off at your local zupans um, or if you know if you're just in love with a classic burger we did this two weekends ago the snake river farms wagyu beef patties delicious they're awesome and now the Copper River salmon has come in first yeah. of the season. So if you're a salmon fan, that's something for you to check out too because they do a, a really nice job. I actually was in the store the other day and they just got the Copper River salmon in, but they also had some really nice looking steelhead. Mm-hmm. And I made it last night for some friends and I used some of the Japanese barbecue sauce they sell at Zupan's and also some soy sauce from Momofuko. And man, that was delicious. When have you ever heard me reel off a recipe on the podcast? No, well, Zupan's makes it easy. You're right. I didn't even need the recipe, but I, it was those ingredients just made for the perfect dinner. So, yep. Three locations to serve you you've got West Burnside, McAdam, Lake Oswego, and we always recommend people keep an eye where, Chris? Zupans.com and subscribe to the News with a Z feed. Here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm co-host, Court Johnson. And on this episode, we're doing a classic going all the way back to January. You thought there was probably more. No, January 2023. That's when Chris sat down with Joel Gunderson to talk about his second venture with Chef Aaron Barnett, Heavenly Creature. So in this episode, you're going to hear Chris talk about that uh, new venture, the second venture that he does with Aaron, and then talk about how the pandemic has overall shaped hospitality. So they get into a lot of stuff. Great episode about the uh, changes that have happened, the future changes that could happen, and just overall a great conversation between Chris and Joel Gunderson. A classic episode from January 2023, episode 338. This is Joel and Chris on Right at the Fork. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. 
West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's it's uh it's busy down here at, at Heavenly Creatures. That's so. good. I hear Thankfully. nothing but good things yeah. about it. I'm not as busy out here in Manzanita, so otherwise I might be in with you right now. But No, I mean it's lovely yeah. out there. Well, sort of. It's been really windy lately, so um but at any rate, listen, I am just tickled that we're actually doing this together after you were kind enough to be my audition guinea pig, I guess we can call it, way back when. Yeah. So, How long ago was that? So that was uh, December, or like uh, probably November of 2013. So it was almost 10 okay. years ago. So uh, you haven't aged a bit. I've aged 10 years since then. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. Time is real. It doesn't matter. Well, yeah. Plus, there's this two-year, two to three-year warp in there too. So, um, right, yeah. so no. I thank you for coming back. We've discussed it along the way over the past ten years, and somehow it never happened. But now I thought it was a good opportunity that you have your new venture going on. Another new venture since we first spoke. When we first spoke, you were at St. Jack, general manager at St. Jack. Okay. Right? Yeah. So that. Yeah, that was. Uh, that so yeah, that was that would be. That was yeah. it, though. That was yeah, the so, deal for you at that point in time. I don't think Cooper's Hall was in the, was on the scope yet. Yeah, it might have been on the scope, but it wasn't something I could talk about I think, oh, at that okay. time. So, yeah, yeah. So we uh, definitely a lot of transitions since then, and um, I think I've been part of. At least twelve restaurant openings. Twelve. Tell us which. Let's go down that list. What What is the list of twelve <laughs> restaurant openings? Well, I, let me think about it. Um, well, I was part of Hamlet's opening. All right. Little short-lived thing there. Um, <clears throat> Pearl Tavern. All of the Grasa locations. And how many of those are uh, there now? We have wow. five. So, yeah, Nick Sherman and Rich Ancarelli, yep. and they have five. And so I'm the wine director for all of those locations. Uh, and so just, you know, going from the learning curve of managing a wine program for one program to five 
creating more like stability than ingenuity, I think is, you know, or finding the happy balance between those things has been that, uh, I helped open a place, um, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, got connected through Kurt Huffman with chef stable to do that. Uh, went and did staff training in the middle of a seven year storm up there. That was, Oh, that must be some storm. If it's a seven year storm there, uh, they, they just said it was like one of the worst storms they've had in seven years, but, yeah, there's Glorietta uh, up there. And, and then you got Cooper's obviously Hall. Cooper's Hall. Yeah, that's the big one. And we opened Cooper's Hall Northeast, which is an event space up here. But I'm, I'm actually in Heavenly Creatures, which is a small little section up in Cooper's Hall Northeast. Right. Where we used to be able to get uh, some pretty good churros a long time, not too long that's ago. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Not doing those, but I have to say your backdrop is fantastic. You may get the award for best backdrop. <laughs> it seemed to make sense, you know. Like, let's go ahead and put the wine right now, behind me. But yeah, it's good. And the very expensive. And backdrop. you and I missed <laughs> the period. So since the pandemic started, we've been recording the podcast like this. But we used to have a nice mm-hmm. studio and a green room and all the right. the the good stuff. Um, so I'm sorry we missed that, but I'm just glad we're here now to talk about it. So it has not been a normal 10 years, right? If someone had told you what was going to transpire back then in terms of, you know, you've talked about 12 openings and that's fantastic. But one of the, um, one of the downsides to having a few places that you're involved with is when a pandemic comes up and we hope that we're not going to be dealing with that again, at least in your career, in your work lifetime. Um, that's a little challenging. I remember seeing some of your posts when it was happening and, uh, boy, that's how, how are you doing now? Are you coming out of it now? Are you feeling a little more optimistic at least like let's, let's do apples to apples because Cooper's Hall was up and operating and thriving when that happened. Absolutely. But yeah. Heavenly Creatures is new. We had our, right. Yeah. I mean, well, with, you know, when we went into the pandemic in 2020, Cooper's Hall had just had, or was about to have their, our best Q1 ever. It was, it was, it was huge. You know, we just had our, company party like two weeks before you know our holiday party is always late because we are helping everybody else with their holiday parties and so february is generally when we do our our holiday party um i was supposed to get on to a plane to hawaii and uh, with my family to take a vacation and it was on that day that i uh i let go of my entire team and fired myself. Um, so that was that was lovely. Let me see. Hawaii <laughs> with your family or firing yourself and a lot of other people that you love too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was that was intense. And um, you know, I think right now things feel good. Um, they, but I, I think like everybody else, we don't. I think having that rug pulled out from under you, there is, 
there's just a general lack of confidence in in the state of affairs, like anything. It's just like, and I think, you know, for us, we Cooper's Hall is a private event space, a winery uh, that is very locked into the rest of the food industry because mo- mainly what we do is keg wine. So we are not a retail-focused uh, winery. We are a restaurant-focused winery. With large space to uh, fill. It's not, you know, yeah. that has a... Yeah, so I mean, so so I think, you know, one of the things our job as people who run spaces, or at least for me with Cooper's Hall, is to, to really try to manifest or show uh, confidence in what we're doing. Uh, you know, particularly if you're trying to book weddings in 2023 and, and, and saying, yes, we will be here. <laughs> you know, we spent, we spent the entire pandemic um, holding the hands of, uh, you know, terrified couples that wanted to get married but couldn't and kept postponing their event and asking, like, hey, are are you even going to be here? Like, like, is this going to, is this going to be a thing? Are we ever going to have our wedding? And, um, and then now it's just, you know, to ask somebody to invest in a, an event six months from now, people are a little gun shy. They're like, are, well, what, you know, what are the conditions? Um, we're seeing a lot more, um, legalese around, around you know even that even that that process it's not like the old innocent days it's it requires a whole different mindset however i view it i'm guessing it's kind of like people who've been through a divorce have trust issues moving forward because they at obviously at one point just like you said you were enjoying uh your best quarter ever at yeah. some point, you're enjoying it enough to say, let's get married, and then you get married, and you know, let's assume that for most people, there's some good periods in there. And then the next thing you know, that doesn't exist any longer. So it's very hard to trust. And yeah, how can you know this isn't going to happen again? It's not gone, right? So yeah, that, right. that uh, begs, the, that, that leads to a lot of unsurety. So um and in your case, yeah, you, yeah you have to book far in advance. We're having that with travel. So we do trips to Europe. Right. We have to deal with the same issue. But people want to travel now, just like they want to get married. They want to do events. Uh, and yeah. they feel a little more comfortable with it than they did a year ago. Yeah, I mean, people want to, you know, people want to live again. You know, I think, I think you can only put life on hold for a certain period of time and then people start breaking out and saying like, Hey, uh, you know, um, you know, I think for us in the industry, um, there was never a, we never had the luxury of hunkering down. So like we've been out and about the whole time, whether we were wearing masks or not wearing masks or whatever, we, we never left the front lines of, of interface. Um, and, you know, I, I remember that first um, summer, you know, we, we were getting PPP funding with these intense restrictions of 
and time restrictions suspended. And so, and then local laws were jumping on and off of different things. You know, we were, I, I think I talked to Noma County Health at least twice a week. And they probably uh, weren't giving you sure good that, answers, much like when people are asking you, can we do uh, this during that period of time? Yeah, you didn't yeah, know. Yeah. I didn't know, but I, you know, I, 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 I did my best to be as engaged as possible with our local health officials uh, and to do everything that I could do within the parameters of what the health officials were telling me I could do. And even at that, I definitely received a lot of uh, pushback uh, from people, you know, saying, hey, letting me know that I was being irresponsible or things like that. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I, you know, it's, it's more like, it, it was, it was tricky. It was hard, you know, as an operator, it was, and I'm sure you've heard this from probably every operator that you've interviewed that um, you, you didn't realize how ready everybody was willing to hate you. Uh, until you try to run a restaurant through the pandemic. Right, and on top of that, you had that nice little layer of crime and a lot of stuff going on in the industry um, that just wasn't necessarily related to the pandemic either. It was like, hey, if this isn't enough, here's another couple of little things for you to deal with. Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're in a, you know, I guess, you know, is the pandemic over? It's not because... In Portland, definitely, we're we're seeing the, the scars of uh, what it means to put businesses downtown on hold, or businesses in the Central East Side on hold. What it means to leave a portion of your city like virtually uh, vacant, as far as foot traffic is concerned, and open to other elements. And so, I think. Um, you know, I think that's a very, that's a very real um, thing as we as Portland operators have to confront. I, you know, I definitely, you know, I mentioned that I was interfacing with Multnomah County Health a lot during the pandemic. I'm definitely interfacing with City of Portland a lot more now than I ever have before. I'm definitely interfacing with uh, Portland Police a lot more than I ever have before. Um, and, you know, in one ways, it's training me to be a more engaged citizen. <laughs> Did you want to be a more engaged a citizen before this, or is it just something you've come to live with? Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I, I had friends during the pandemic that were just enraged about the restrictions and, Joel, you should be angry and all this stuff. And, and you know, what I said, I was like, I don't, I don't have the luxury to be angry. I don't have the luxury to like ask that decision as to whether or not I would like to be more engaged or not. Like I have a business to run. I have people who depend on me as an operator uh, to get their back and to uh, do to the best I can for advocating for our business in the area of town that we're in. And, uh, and, you know, I, you know, getting back to your original question, you know, do I have hope or is there, is there hope? Is there a hopefulness? Um, I don't know if it's, if hope is the right word, I think resilience and, um, um, uh, sort of like a strategic optimism. Have, 
as in you don't you can't you can't run a business on pessimism. Uh, you got to run it on outcomes. Are you? Um, did you f- have anything in your past that enabled you to? Um, think that you would have this resilience or is it something that you found you had that surprised you i would imagine a lot of people hadn't been through this you certainly hadn't been through this specific drill before but uh, right. but in terms of you know the the wherewithal to keep going uh, i would imagine there were sometimes you just didn't have you didn't have the blueprint on what it was going to take to keep going you had to keep trying new things so is there anything in your past and right. your you know, childhood, any, any examples that you had um, that you think might have helped you to get through it? Or was this just, was this just Joel? I mean, and I don't mean just Joel. Was this Joel? And Right, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of do a shout out to everybody in our industry. I, I think that restaurant people, just by the nature of what we do, are built resilient. Um, you know, restaurants already are a insanely high risk, uh, underpaid, uh, overworked, <laughs> uh, sort of industry. Like, you know, um, so opening restaurant St. Jack in 2010, uh, was nail biting and scared the hell out of me constantly. And so, like, do I have experience of being scared constantly that I'm not going to be able to achieve something while doing something I don't know exactly what I'm doing? Yeah. I opened a restaurant in 2010 with my best friend. That was <laughs> – that, that, that showed me how much I did. And you know, kept going, you too. So and you kept – yeah, yeah, yeah. So you keep going. And so I think, I think there's that. I mean, I, I grew up in the Philippines. I grew up – my parents are missionaries and uh, my parents worked with um, the poorest of the poor right outside of Metro Manila. My mom is a midwife and my dad ran an orphanage there and there were babies being born in my house every day of the week. Um, so uh, I think one of the things I learned from my parents was that you, you don't, the support, the money doesn't have to be there, but we're still going to open our doors and take care of the people in front of us. Well, I, I think that you couldn't have found a better example to answer that question. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. fantastic. And I find it interesting that that's how and where you grew up. And I don't think the natural progression from that is I'll open a French restaurant in Portland, Oregon. Um, I want to hear. I want to hear yeah, how you yeah. went from there to there. Um, listen, let's do that when we come back. We have to take a, a little break now to hear from our friends at Ringside Steakhouse, and then we'll come back and talk about that. Chris, we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat in Portland, an institution, as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. Seventy nine over seventy nine years. I remember we were just saying 75 years, so time's flying, and, uh, and we're coming up on an 80-year institution in Portland, uh, Ringside Steakhouse, where now, something they didn't have for most of those 80 years was, an, was outdoor dining, and their patio is awesome, and um, it's a really nice spot to eat. They have, they have some heaters out there if you need them, 
it's really pretty. So whether you're eating, you know, when you eat at ringside, you can either eat in the beautiful dining room, the bar now, you can make reservations to eat in the bar, or outside. Lots of choices there, in addition to lots of choices for different cuts of steak. Right, Court? Yeah, I was just telling you this off air, Chris. I went just recently with my wife, Randy. Uh, You had been telling me, you got to get the Wagyu, you got to get the Wagyu. I I finally did um, because there's so many great items to choose from, and I just hadn't got to it yet. I went with the olive-fed Wagyu, and easily the best steak I have ever had in my life. I, I was dumbfounded by it. It's a treat. It's not something you're going to get every time you go in there because it's a little expensive. Sure. But I've seen it for way more elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's something if you have, you know, a couple of times you get to say, just like you did, that it's the best steak you've ever had. And they have it. They have different options, too. So olive, olive fed is just one of them. The food, the food is delicious. And the service is absolutely bar none. The best in town. We had Colin serving us and just the best service the entire night. Best food. If it's a special occasion, if it's not a special occasion, Ringside Steakhouse is the place to go. Yeah, it will be just go in there. It will turn into a special occasion. There it is. So, uh, and they also have food to go now, and they even on their website they've got a, a scrolling banner. Ringside steaks are on sale, so that's a good opportunity as well. So they are on West Burnside. They're open. Let's give the hours here: four thirty to nine Monday through Thursday, four to nine thirty Friday and Saturday, and four to nine on Sunday. And, of course, set up those reservations. You can do that through the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com, or on the Open Table app. Okay, we're back. This is Right at the Fork, and we're here with Joel Gunderson, currently of Heavenly Creatures and Cooper's Hall, and doing a lot of work with, with other chef's table properties, entities. What do we call them? Restaurants? I suppose. Yeah, I think we call them yeah well, you've got a wine bar over there, so I didn't necessarily want to lump. Um, you yeah, know, yeah, in yeah, Portland, yeah. Restu- wine bars and bars are restaurants. They have to be. So uh, anyway, yeah. I just wanted to coin it. But thanks, Joel, for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, if I didn't really cover it up front, Joel, years ago... When no one knew what a podcast was, right? I'm gonna, I don't know if you remember, Joel, when you came in, whether you knew what a podcast was. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I barely did. knew. I had just heard of them. And uh, my friend Heather Jones, who called me to audition to be the host of this podcast. And um, we did a little audition down near St. Jack. It was not far, right? It was a few blocks. You could pro- probably could have walked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, and that's it. I guess it went well enough where I came back, but somehow you didn't. And so here, here we are almost 10 years later, and it's good to finally have you here. And a, a lot has transpired since then. But um, I don't remember. We don't have that recording. It was with a completely different company than we or way that we record the podcast now. I would have liked to have listened to it, and I, maybe you would have liked to have heard what your mindset was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a more innocent time. But we were just talking about your uh, childhood in the Philippines. And um, some of the, I thought that was fascinating how you immediately were able to think of the resilience of opening one's home when it was sometimes not that easy 
um, as uh, a point to that as something that helped you get through this pandemic. But let's talk a little bit about your childhood and, and how you got from the Philippines here. You're obviously not Filipino, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, are we, am I even allowed to say that nowadays? Am I allowed to even just assume yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, Filipino. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's true. I'm a, I'm an ex, I was an expat. Um, yeah, I, you know, I came back to the United States to go to college. Met a girl. She was from Portland. We moved up here together. Um, Where'd you go to college? Aaron Barnett. Where'd you go to college? Yeah. I went to a little uh, Christian liberal arts college called Westmont uh, up in Montecito. So I actually went from an environment where we were working with the poorest of the poor to uh, living among the wealthiest of the wealthiest. In California, yeah. 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 In California, yeah. (laughs) Um, So... uh, and yeah, in fact, Aaron and I uh, never met while well, I lived in Santa Barbara, but I had gone back to Santa Barbara for uh, a friend's wedding in 2000 and or maybe 2001. And Aaron and I met and the rest is history. So we've been we've been pals since then. How did you meet? And, and talk a little bit about that how you decided to be how, how you decided to be friendly enough to open a restaurant together right yeah well i mean we met at a party at my friend's house and I, you know i was i it was back in the day when you were just out of college so when you went and visited a friend you stayed at their house and so you stay up all night drinking and then you wake up the next day together and uh hang out more and so this is a guy um, i want to get drunk with well, that's all right. This is the guy that? I want to get drunk with. Is what you? Aaron is a great guy to get drunk. With. <laughs> yeah, no, he, no, he's a good drinking buddy. Uh, you know, we just. In fact, I, I often I often describe restaurant Saint Jack as in two ways. I say, uh, I talked Aaron into moving to Portland, and he talked me into becoming a sommelier. Uh, that's one thing. I, I, I feel like he's a friend who often believed in me more than I believed in myself, which was incredibly valuable to have. Uh, and then um, Restaurant St. Jack was, you know, we would often prior to him moving to Portland, we would hang out together and he would tell me how I needed to train to become a sommelier and how we needed to open a restaurant together and we'd drink all night and I would promise him and say, yes, I'm going to do it. We're going to do this. And then I'd wake up the next morning, just filled with dread. Like I just promised somebody that I'm going to open a restaurant with them. And I have no idea how to do any of that. And was his sole purpose Um, in, in suggesting that's what you do in life was, was it a little bit selfish because he wanted you to be the guy or was it, this is what you need to do just to, to have growth and satisfaction in your life. Oh, and by the way, maybe someday you can open a restaurant with me. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it was more, we, we need to do this thing. Like we want, I want to do this. Like we want to do this thing together. This you're super skilled and, you know, obviously untrained at that time, but in, in wine and, and uh, let's do like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if self, I, I think that's how friendships work, right? You just, you build off, you feed off of each other. And I think it was more that it was like, uh, 
I call it a six-year conversation. All right. Well, so I'm curious yeah. whether you were just really good at opening a wine bottle and and consuming it, or whether you actually knew anything for him to say that at that point in time. Because because I believe you just mentioned you were still in college or just out of college at that point in time. It was in our twenties, but yeah, I mean, so when that conversation started, it was probably like. Uh, I guess 2003 would have been when that conversation started. So uh, seven years before we opened restaurant St. Mm-hmm. Jack. Um, but yeah, no. So what I, what I always had even before, you know, jumping into wine professionally, it's just like a high recall for wine. So I would say, Oh yeah, I know we, we had that bottle uh, three months ago and it tasted like this. So I, I didn't have any training behind me, but I, um, I often feel like people in the wine industry are um, kind of fabulous catalogers. You know, like often you'll talk to somebody, you'll find out, oh, they're also into jazz and they can probably tell you who was playing on, uh, you know, uh, kind of blue. Like they, and and they, can, they can tell you different, you know, what other albums all of the other players were playing on as well. Um, so I find that pretty often in the wine industry is that, is that people who are professionals and good at what they're doing, they, they generally oft, or they often have a cataloging mind. And so um, not that I'm uh, an audiophile, but, um, but I, I have high recall for different things. So, and I was able to put together that with wine. And so I, I would say like to a certain extent, that's, that's kind of like, the sort of goofy thing that allowed me to, or believe that maybe I could I, become a sommelier. I think it's a hell of a talent because I can't even think of cataloging that many things. I mean, there's so many different regions and so many different wines. So to, it, it's pretty hard to be an expert at that. And when you're good, good enough at that to be doing it at a number of restaurants, man, you have, I think you've, you've passed a really high bar. Yeah, I think it's just some of us just, you know, we just remember things in a different way. And so, like, uh, you know, not to take what we as Psalms do for granted, but we're just, a lot of us are just built this way and we can just remember shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's fine. Um, and it works out for us. And so it's like, yeah, I know I can remember, you know, what a 2004, 2000, I can remember where I was when I had a 2010 coach to read Bourgogne Blanc. And I can remember the profile of the wine. You know, those are just things I can That's remember. That's like a music yeah. memory. You can, when, I, when you hear a right. certain it's, song yeah. from high school, you know exactly where you were, at least where you were smoking pot when you heard that song. Right. I mean, so they talk about, right, people talk about that. They talk about scent memory, for instance, like our olfactory memories being incredibly um, important. I, I, I remember, like, when my dad passed away in 2010, Sorry, not 2010, 2007. Uh, my family is originally from Montana, and we drove from Portland to Montana, and we dropped down out of the Rockies into the plains right outside of Great Falls, Montana. And it was in the early summer. It was it was in June, and it was all of the all of the flora from all of these scents coming off of the off of the plains kind of like hit us all at once. 
And I just started crying. I mean, it, you know, my dad, I was going to a memorial service, but on top of that, it was, it was my childhood. You know, it was, it was something that I knew deep inside of me uh, came back to me. It was this, it was the scent of, of the plains that was incredibly important to me. And in that moment, like I knew it and it brought back so many memories. And so I think with wine, it, it can be, you know, if you open yourself to it, like that's, that's part of it. It's, it's, it's like how we remember. It's a, it's a very strong memory system. If, if you, if you just, you know, allow yourself to, to go there. Um, so. I think it's interesting that the roots of that memory are in Montana, uh, as opposed to Paris or, you know, <laughs> or where you were in Montecito. Um, but that, but certainly that was where you developed a lot of it there, I would imagine, in the California, the California wine business. It, 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 could, it, it could be, um, it could be the sense of being moved, like disjunction, like say like originally from Montana, Philippines, like you go to these places and it's the smell of these places that, that lets you know your home. And there's this sort of at-homeness that you're familiar, that you that for me, like smell really is a huge part of that, you know, the dirty kitchen in my home in the Philippines. Like I, I, I know that smell. And if I smelled it somewhere, I would, I would, I would take me back to there. And so have you um, smelled it anywhere in yes. Portland? Has it come up yet? Uh, Anything like it? it yeah. I would say like back kitchen areas mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, Freshly clean tile, little moist, little uh, maybe on a muggy day, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm yeah. curious, you know, you you caused me to think of the tiny little kitchen at the original restaurant St. Jack, and that oh, yeah. must have had some interesting because it was so so compressed and so small, and I don't know what the ventilation was like, but you must have had a lot of a lot of aromas there that aren't appearing at the Northwest version of the restaurant. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I think whenever I walk into a place and there's, um, you know, bone stock being reduced, that always takes me back to St. Jack. Like I'm there. Like that's, that's what I walked into in the morning. Like you open the door at, you know, for us, you know, as managers, you open the door at 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and the stock is just being pulled from the night before I left to, to go overnight. And so it's like that early morning with bone stock uh, that always brings me back to that's, that's my St. Jack scent right does, there. Does, that, does your psalm, the psalm side of you, kick into gear when you hear that or when you smell that and start thinking about wine? Is that something that happens or has nothing to do with it? Uh, sure. I mean, I'm always thinking about wine. So, um, and often I'm tasting, you know, you, often we start tasting wine at 11. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think for like heavenly creatures, for instance, um, there's a strong Aaron just came and shoved something really delicious. in my Hi, mouth. Aaron. <laughs> I haven't seen I, I haven't seen Aaron in a while, so 
<laughs> Tell him I miss him. I, he had to. That was his cameo. Right I miss there, him dearly. I just well, he's been, he's yeah. been with us before, but we just got his hand and his spoon. That's good. We're happy to have yeah. any part of Aaron yeah. we can. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, I, I I I do think absolutely um, that when I came, when I started thinking about heavenly creatures and concepting it, and then Aaron was like. I want to play too. Can I be the consulting chef for this? Um, it dramatically influenced how I would start uh, purchasing for this project. Um, what what were the odds uh, you were going to say to him? No, you're not the guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we've, we've been talking ever since I left St. Jack, we've been trying to figure out how we can, uh, do something together. And so heavenly creatures has really allowed us to, um, to, uh, to be together, to push each other. Um, and I, you know, you know, kind of going back to that, that question about, you know, was, was his recommendation for you to become a psalm personally motivated? It's like, as personally motivated as it is that I just want to hang out with you like that. And here's a, here's a great way that we can do it. And, um, and I think, I think that the spirit of innovation often with friendships, right, can can come about through through something that is less um, transactional, I guess, and just more like emotional. It's it, it's it's um, it's the happiness of being together that can really build something good. Well, then it must be. It's got to be obviously exciting. I mean, look, you're sitting there. Who else is? Uh, and being interviewed on this podcast to get spoons where they get to taste taste <laughs> something that's going on in the kitchen. But that, it must be great to be back together. And conversely, was it a little difficult for you to leave St. Jack a few years ago and go off and do your own thing? Yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was a definite, that was, that was a really hard decision and, um, I think if I could have, well, I, I, you know, I think, I think Kurt really did a good job of, it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer. Yes, it was hard. <laughs> Sometimes that's <laughs> it was the easiest way. It was heartbreaking. It was really, it was, it was heartbreaking for both of us. And, you know, I think, um, I, I think um, that you know now that we we have this opportunity to, to work together again, it's trying to make sure that we can build something in a in a way that both that will work for both of us, so that we can do it longer together. So I think that's you know that's the exciting thing, and that's always the um, you know I needed to go and open Cooper's Hall with Kurt that. It was an opportunity that... Um, and we're speaking about Kurt Huffman of Chef's Table, just Kurt, for those who, yeah, for those who don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and um, to be able to maintain the friendship after leaving, uh, you know, I, I actually did continue to run the wine program for Restaurant St. Jack uh, for three years after leaving um, as a general manager, um, 
but that day in day out is is the real guts of the thing you know and and um as a consulting wine person i do enjoy it but there is something incredibly different and incredibly more dynamic about being on premise being you know and actually being part of the hospitality agenda um and you know i think i think so often wine gets divorced from hospitality and wine directors think of their wine as don't think of their wine program within the the idea of hospitality that it is actually an arm of creating a space that is welcome to the guest um and and that can often i think lead to that sort of um friction between the consumer and and wine you know because <laughs> because they're thinking of it as like oh this thing that i do that's awesome and cool and very expensive and elite um as opposed to being like no come in and drink um now you know what we do at heavenly creatures i i you know i say all this and then i realize that i opened a 22 seat restaurant uh where i serve really expensive wine <laughs> Uh you know we have $20 our glass pours are between you know 15 and $30 um but for me it's it's taking these last 13 years of being intensely focused on restaurants opening restaurant after restaurant consulting on openings omerta that's another one that i forgot you know opening a place like omerta with a $80,000 opening list doing staff trainings every week there uh and then saying well how do i how do i take all of that information how do i take all of that knowledge and then still focus on the thing that gets me most excited about wine and food which is celebration right it's just like um or just that i love it that we love it like that's why we're here <laughs> we're trying to do something that we love and we're trying to open our doors and um you know obviously hospitality is something that i also love and cherish and um and want to be good at like i actually want to be as good at hospitality and uh finding welcoming somebody into a space as i do uh want to be about you know uh knowing the top producers in Chasson Montrachet or something. Like well, that. you've worn a few hats. It's not as though you haven't and you know there are a few others that I can think of right off the bat, you know, Mr. Fortgang who has managed places and also been, you know, the som or and he's doing different things as well too. Um Absolutely. So, does this give you does Heavenly Creatures give you the opportunity to uh spread out your wings a little bit more and go and work with some wines that you wouldn't have worked with ordinarily at some of the other restaurants uh is that uh, what would you if someone were to say what makes heavenly creatures what it is what would you say what what would be your elevator speech uh yeah i mean audacity maybe i don't know uh <laughs> no, I uh yeah, we I would say what makes heavenly creatures what it is is that I, I you know, I'd almost go back to the the original St. Jack and say um that we are deeply invested in the the things that we're working with. Like I love the wine, I love the food, 
Um, but I guess as far as, you know, product is concerned, absolutely. Um, and I think that being, I think there's a, you know, there's two edges to it. One is that I think having done this and having done it as intensely as I have for this many years, uh, allows me to be in the space where like, where I get to play with these different wines, um, and, um, have the confidence to, you know, pull the cork on a, a foyard on a Thursday night and know that we're going to sell every glass of it in the next 45 minutes. Is that because uh, the clientele knows it or because you are, uh, you're confident that you're going to be able to ex- explain it well enough to make sure it's served? The people in the know will know it. I mean, Foyard is, you know, a big name, but, um, but no, I think it, it's mainly about, inter- again, it's like saying like, hey, I, I, we want to open something special that you've never had before and you don't even know about until right now. And we're going to tell you about it. And that, you know, our whole glass pour list consists of bottles like that. Um, we're taking a risk with the price point because I do want to put in front of people these wines that I've been able to enjoy, that I've been able to work with. Um, but most people don't ever get to drink, you know, usually sit on a, a bottle list at a restaurant, you know, for like 120 bucks. And so even pouring it, but you know, even as expensive or pricey as an 18 to $22 glass pour is, um, it's still a lot more approachable than pulling something off of a bottle list for, you know, 120, 150 bucks. Oh, exactly. Um, that doesn't seem, for someone who I don't spend, I'm not a big wine drinker, that doesn't seem, in the United States, that doesn't seem completely, that doesn't seem very expensive to me right now. I when mean, I go to Europe, it's a whole different thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And again, when I go to Europe, I spend a lot more money on wine by the bottle and by the glass than a lot of American consumers would mm-hmm. because I'm still buying the producers that I want to buy and they aren't cheap and they aren't cheap in Europe. either. <laughs> They're cheaper. You know, they haven't gone through like a three tier system and been marked up another 60%. Uh, but you know, people in downtown Barcelona still have their bills to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, and it's still, you know, when I, when I'm in these places, I'm still spending like 16 euro, on a glass of wine, 17 euro on a glass of wine. So it actually, I guess, does translate, I guess, the wine that I'm... <laughs> no, that's a good glass of I'm, wine. I'm, so I'm industry, and, and, we're, and we're, we're crazy. Like, we're, you know, this is, we don't think about it. But I, I, I would argue that the average American consumer spends like eight bucks on like some crappy venti whatever, something chino at, at a Starbucks, you know, and... and and so that's, I think, where I push back and have a little attitude. I'm like, yeah, and, and I'm going to offer you a glass of wine uh, that is made by a family who's been making this wine for 150 years. And, and that's special. And that's, that's holding up, you know, traditions. That's being able to explore geographies. It's being able to... Um, take people to places that none of us can afford to go to, <laughs> you know, like we can't go to, we can't fly to Hungary tomorrow, but we can pull corks on wine from Hungary and, 
and, and talk about um, the history of a region like Shomlo or, you know, Tokai and, and, and taste it and taste what those people have been doing for hundreds of years. And that's kind of cool. Um, and so I, I think the other thing, you know, when I think about heavenly creatures is, is just this generosity of spirit within the information that we share about what we're pouring. So often when you go to a restaurant to have a psalm experience, you have to pull those bottles off a shelf. You have to order the big one, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or like, you know, if you're going to call the psalm over, they're going to, they're going to try to get you towards that big one and maybe be disappointed if you don't. Um, but every table, every conversation we have here is that it's, you know, we're excited about everything that we're pouring. We curated the whole list here. You know, my, my co-buyer, Mark Gutelli, who was recently the psalm over at rest at lock St. Jack. Um, you know, so it doesn't matter if you order the $14 glass or if you order the $22 glass, like, we're excited about these things and, and we want to tell you about it. If you want, to are you there? Um, are you holding down the fort? A lot of the time, I would imagine that some of the other ventures over time, you're able to find a little work life balance that you may not have had, you know, have, and you know, have you gone to Hawaii with your family? <laughs> Did you ever get to do that yeah. trip? Yeah. I mean, I knew uh, I crammed a bunch in prior to the opening of heavenly creatures. Cause I know what a heavenly, I know what a, an opening takes and I knew what I wanted to do with heavenly creatures. And I knew that it would take me here a lot. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that I'm hoping in, well, I'm hoping by March I'll be able to take a, a little break, but right now I'm here every night. Uh, we're going to six days a week, either next week or the following week, depending on if we can get our staffing together. Uh, you know, that's another crisis, but, um, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I think for me, it's incredibly important to build culture inside a space and, and really put the, and you can't do that. You can't phone that in, you know, again, like from being a consultant for so long, like you, and having both experiences side by side, you know, even doing staff training once a week at Omerta, like it did not create the wine culture that an on-premise person who's there all the time will create. Um, and then it's engaging with the food and engaging with the people that are cooking the food and talking about, you know, the techniques, watching the food being cooked, uh, running those plates to the table. All of that is so important to think, to me, to thinking about the wine. Like it's, it's not a... And that is why we have such, you know, you mentioned like you can't have a wine bar in Portland without a good food program, but there actually are a lot of wine program bars in Portland that don't have basically any food program. And, and I think that is one way that we're distinguishing ourselves too, is being heavily invested in our food Heavenly program. invested. So talk a little bit about the name Heavenly Creatures. And I'm amused by the juxtaposition of Heavenly Creatures at the same time when you're talking about Omerta. <laughs> there are little, there's a little yeah, bit on yeah, different sides of the coin there, but just, you know, Heavenly Creatures is your baby, and what, uh, what caused you to come yeah. up with that name? Uh, well, I, I, my wife, uh, Jenna, actually named it, uh, and 
obviously we saw the Peter Jackson film back in the day, uh, you know, very dark, uh, film that has a lot of, uh, <laughs> intense darkness in it, but I haven't seen um, it. So I, that's, that's news to me. I would have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's Kate Winslet's first, first film. Um, but yeah, um, so that, you know, somewhere bouncing around in the back of our heads was that sort of, um, that, uh, that sort of like juxtaposition of, of heavenly creatures is such a sort of like lovely name. And then the darkness that exists within that film. Um, we just like that junk, this junction. Um, I often say, you know, not all heavenly creatures are angels. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, also, uh, did you, I probably, I don't know if I want to ask this or you want me to ask this, but can you just use that name without going to, uh, the, the producers and finding out whether you can, is that, is that something that would be in the public domain? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of like, um, like pet care things that are called. Yeah, I guess so. I know. Who knows? I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you can, you know, um, it, you know, Peter Jackson might give us a ring and, and, uh, yeah, well, that's create a cease and desist. But I think since it doesn't, um, actually inter- like if we were trying to name like a movie or something related to a film, heavenly. Creatures, well, I also think if you had have- movie posters up, that would be a problem. So I think yeah, if you're yeah, not yeah, directly yeah. referencing it, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So it's just like, again, it was there like in the back of our psyche, but like all of our bottles are, are heavenly. Creatures. Exactly. It's like, they, it's like a, you know, it's a thing. And, and, uh, um, we get it. I think it's the, a nice yeah, name. Just, I think it's a very positive, nice name at a time when we need that, you know, we need some positive, nice things right now. And, and, yeah. um, the imagery of, you know, to go somewhere, yeah, I mean, the, you've been into the space since you've been into the churro space, so you know it's it's a tiny space. It's, um, it was one of those things that, like, all year we were like, it's going to be so cool. We're opening a 22-seat restaurant, wine bar. And then two weeks beforehand, I started, like, losing sleep because I was like, oh, my God, we're opening a 22-seat. Like, people are going to hate us. It's so tiny. We're, like, on the other side of a pandemic. And we're ordering, we are opening a space that like is pretty tightly packed. It's reminiscent of these like wine bars that we went to in Barcelona and Paris and like that we loved and, you know, our, our New York city, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a packed in confined space. And, um, and so it, it did feel audacious. <laughs> and again, you know, like right on the front of a, of a, of a economic downturn and we're opening a place that is selling $20 glass pours. And so, but I think that's what we need in Portland. I think that that is what has made Portland great in the past. And like, we can't forsake that innovative spirit. Like that is the optimism that I hold on to is that we as small producers and makers can make the difference. We've made the difference before we know that we've done it and we can do it again. It's going to take a lot of work and it's going to suck. And it's going to be hard, but like, you know, it's worth it. Do you feel like, uh, how do you feel about the Portland food world now, uh, in 2023 versus 2018 for, for instance, or we can go back 2010, you know, when you opened 
restaurant St. Jack. Right. Um, that was a very interesting, hopeful, um, just, I thought it was an awesome period where a lot of people were doing fantastic things and breaking out from right. their mentors and, and finding their way. Um, I guess that's happening now, but a lot of those mentors are gone. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like it is closer to 2010 than 2018. I think there is a lot of opportunity for younger uh, makers to get out there and take risks. Um, you know, obviously a lot of real estate has opened up and, uh, and it is a landscape where people who are willing to take that risk can go out and, and do something, you know, special, um, you know, street disco down on foster open almost like within a week of us, maybe a week before us. And they're a wine bar that like us has like a, a more extensive food program and, um, they're in the old foster burger space. And so, you know, they're slinging natural wine and throwing good food out. And that's awesome. And, and we both did it at the same time. And there seems to be enough interest in both spaces for both of our spaces to be full, you know, every night. Um, so it, I think it shows, shows us that if we are daring enough to open doors and do things that we can, um, we can still make a difference in the city and, and that, that there's still an appetite. Like people want to go out people want to have a good time. Like people, I think, you know, going back to that security issue, people just want to know that the money that they're spending is, is worth it. And so, um, I know that what I, I, I believe that what I'm doing in my spaces is, is, is worth the money that people are spending. I know that, I know that we're working hard towards trying to create those. Well, if for anybody who's still with us, who's been with us for this hour, I can just tell you that um, you and I haven't spoken a lot in the last many years, but you can just hear your heart and you can hear the, the authentic, authenticity that comes through in everything that you do. And I, I feel like that has become a word that people overuse and apply to themselves a lot. And I'm going to apply it to you so it's a little more genuine when I'm applying it than when someone is deciding I'm authentic. Um, but I think, uh, you know, you put a lot of heart into it. You've got a lot of experience and you know what you're doing. And having Aaron there with you is like killer because the two of you have proven that you can do some incredible things. And... Um, yeah, I think it's, and the timing is right, right? People, maybe a year ago, it would have been a rough go because getting, yeah. getting that many people yeah. in a 22-seat in a space would have been tough. But uh, is, anybody, is anybody worried about masking and that sort of thing now? I mean, we have people that come in with masks on and then they take them off when they're at their table and then put them back on when they Which eat. is just the and oddest thing ever. Put it on. It put is, it like on when you're at the table, and then go outside and put it. I mean, and put it on outside, which makes no sense. But well, like it's literally like ten steps to the right. door from anywhere in this building. So it's like it's again. But you know, I, uh, everybody has their own thing that they need to do to get through these days. So um, I'm just happy that you know somebody who wears a mask inside a space is going to come in and, and be with us and 
and decide to have a good time. So um, that makes. You know, I that, think that's that makes that's the bottom line for you. So um, it I, I congratulate you for opening it, and um, I hope. You know, I know one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I don't want to keep you much longer, was, um, you know, Portland as a city and how it's faring right now for residents and even for the people downtown. Do you have optimism about that? Do you feel like we're, we're turning the corner? I, I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I know that, again, um, we have made, you know, we as makers in Portland, people who are running small businesses um, are obviously, for me, like with my event business, I'm incredibly worried about that. That's Portland's reputation is um, means that, you know, things won't get booked at the, at the uh, convention center, which means that I might lose a hundred thousand dollars in revenue just from that alone, you know, um, people thinking that where Cooper's Hall is located in the central east side is an unsafe part of town to be in now. Um, that's terrifying. You know, that might mean somebody doesn't want to have their wedding there because they don't want to scare their family. And um, But I can't, I have to choose optimism. I have to choose, I guess, resilience and hopefulness. Like, maybe not optimism, but like I have to choose to stay engaged with the city. Uh, and, you know, I don't really have a choice. I'm locked in. <laughs> and so um, I can't, I could throw in the towel, I guess, and pick up somewhere else. But that just seems, that doesn't seem me. That wouldn't be right. No, and you're a part, and so, you're a part of Portland, man. You can't, see, that's what's yeah. so disheartening for me is that a lot of, the folks like Vitaly who were like embodied Portland, Oregon aren't here anymore. So we need you to stay. We need you and Aaron to be successful. And, um, yeah, I, I'm sure that'll happen. And, um, listen, I, I appreciate what you're doing. It's great. So, and I appreciate your coming by. I don't want to keep you any longer. Yeah. My friend, love this conversation. Yeah, no, I, I hope I, I found it to be a a great conversation and I'd love to have you back sooner than 10 years. That would probably be, that would be a nice goal. Uh, and it's not as that I, as I said earlier, we discussed it. I don't know why it never happened, but, um, Oh, I know why, because at one point, there wasn't a lot of positive to say that when we were, when I, I remember right. I contacted you when you were having a little bit of a challenge going on and that was not the time you wanted yeah, to talk. Yeah. You wanted to wait till this to be more positive and I'm glad we did. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, thank All you. right, Joel, I'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay. Take All care. Right, say hi to Aaron. I will okay. do. Bye. Bye. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right